0: Welcome to Minor Rex. I'm Charlie. I'm today joined by Maureen, Krista, Tia, and Angelo as we talk about music and all the various ways that we can listen to music, think about music, talk about music, read about music. We're sort of a one-stop shop here at the Des Plaines Public Library. Yeah, we've all got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's just get right into it. Yeah, should we start with the thing that we're all kind of bummed about? Tony Bennett just died. He's definitely such a formative figure in modern music. And, of course, in the, the later part of his career, he had that great collaboration with Lady Gaga, yeah. where he sort of just blew everyone away with, you know, how strong his voice still is and, you know, his impeccable phrasing. So, yeah, everyone's sort of feeling that loss.
1: He's really the last of his, like, generation. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of sad to see that era kind of end, even though yeah. music is forever in a lot of ways. But right. it's sad to see that.
0: Yeah, I mean, anytime someone whose death marks the closing of a chapter... I I felt that way a couple years ago when Little Richard passed away.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. Because
0: he was like one of the last Mount Rushmore rock and roll guys. Yeah, Actually, he's on my mind because there is a really good documentary about Little Richard that just came out called Little Richard, the King and Queen of Rock and Roll, which is a a really good portrait of him throughout his life. I, I definitely recommend that one. But yeah, we do have here at the library a really well-put-together display of Tony Bennett's records that we have here at the library. There was a duets album that he made maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. It's him singing with a lot of people from, you know, lots of different walks of life and different career paths, and his duet with Amy Winehouse was just stellar. i
2: gladly surrender
3: Body and soul. That's impressive that he uh, collaborated with all these uh, modern names. It, it kind of yeah. reminded me how uh, one album I definitely want to recommend is uh, Dua Lipa's. A recent one that has levitating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she recently collaborated with. Um, Elton John. Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: I know what you're talking really? about, and do I remember the title? No. but can, <laughs> Do I hear it in my head? Yes. Okay. But yeah, that was really good. I always like it when people who you don't think should collaborate do, and it's a really happy surprise. Yeah.
3: Gonna say this for later on in the podcast, but uh, one of my uh, favorite collaborations ever was Lou Reed and the Gorillas. Oh. Ah, yeah. uh, they uh, like three years before he passed away, it's such a you know, culture clash, but yeah. also not, yeah, it's like a uh, from uh, the album Plastic Beach, yeah, some kind of nature, some kind of soul, some kind of mixture, some
0: kind of gold. Some kind of majesty, some chemical load, load. I'm really glad that you didn't say Lou Reed and Metallica, because the album they made together was just
1: awful. No. (laughs) No. No.
3: Well, anyway, yeah, we're here to recommend various stuff from uh, the library's collection today, albums, other music-adjacent material, music biographies, uh, documentaries. Uh, Does anyone want to start us off?
2: So I have a bunch of albums that I would highly recommend um, that have been out for a minute, but you may not have heard of them because you're like, who are these people? The first one is Fletcher, the singer Fletcher, and then her album is called Girl of My Dreams. And she did a regular edition, and then she also has the deluxe edition. And the special thing about the deluxe edition is that she did a duet with Kelsey Ballerini, which is really fun because Kelsey Ballerini is known for being a country singer, and then Fletcher's more like rock and like poppy type of stuff. Um, but she's really fun. Baby, I loved you, had your worst, and I'll fix your heart, but mine still hurts. And I was not the person that's gonna get the better version. If you love you. And the album I discovered that I really, really loved and I've never heard any of their work before ever was Illenium. It's like Millennium without the M. And it is a bunch of really great collaborations with a lot of different singers, some of them like I would know like Avril Lavigne and Travis Barker, All Time Low, they did one with them too. So it's more like some of them are kind of instrumental and then others are just like, you know, they had a really nice collaboration with them. It's technically EDM, which is electronic dance music, which I normally don't listen to when I'm not in the club, but this is a really good one. I really liked the Gorilla's new album, which was Cracker Island. It was fantastic. They collaborated with Stevie Nicks, if you need any more incentive to listen to them. <laughs> and then Lana Del Rey's newest album, it's called Did You Know That There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard, and she's got anyone you could want on this album, because she has John Batiste, Bleachers, and Tommy Genesis. It's another really good one. When's it gonna be my turn? Don't forget me. When's it gonna be my turn?
3: And those are all from this year.
2: Yes. Oh wow. Actually, from like the last like six months.
3: Oh okay, cool. Yeah. Okay.
2: I have a couple albums I can
1: share. Noah Kahan just released his deluxe version of Stick Season that actually came out last year at the end of the year. But he came out with a deluxe version, Stick Season Will All Be Here Forever, which is definitely more folk, rock, a lot of storytelling. I just find it absolutely fascinating and beautiful. And he actually just came out with a feature with Post Malone um, Mm -hmm. doing one of his songs, which has been just an absolute joy to listen to. I'm proud. Another album I've been obsessed with that came out this April was by Boy Genius, who is just taking the world by storm. Um, It's called The Record, and it's their first official album, but it's their sophomore collaboration. And just watching them develop as musicians together has just been a joy. The
3: way I
0: am, not strong enough to be
3: your
4: recently came out within the last month actually was the girl group odd eye circle made their comeback with the album version up a lot of fans myself included have been really looking forward to this especially because there were a lot of like legal issues preceding it i know everybody who's been waiting for this album or this quote-unquote re-debut is super excited to see this, like, really good turnout that they are still together and still putting out music.
0: I've been listening to a lot of the new album by the band Sparks, Mm -hmm. who have been together for over 50 years at this point and consistently putting out music throughout all of it. And it's really remarkable that they're in their fifth decade as a band and they're still making really creative, really entertaining, really funny music. You know, the, the name of the new album is The Girl is Crying in Her Latte, and, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which may give you a, a taste to their sort of off-kilter lyrical sensibility. If you're not familiar with them, definitely look out, check out the music video for that one, which features some great dancing from Kate Blanchett. Oh,
2: okay.
1: oh interesting.
2: Oh, I'm <laughs> interested. That's all you had to say was Kate Blanchett, and now we're all like, okay, <laughs> we'll watch this.
3: The good is in The, lofty, yeah. the good is in the lofty, sad. The
0: In their I, I just saw them earlier this month at the Copernicus Center, and they put on a fantastic show, notwithstanding their smoke machines briefly <laughs> setting off the smoke alarm.
1: Oh, no. Oops.
0: So I remember in the... Uh A few episodes
3: in the podcast, we talked about uh, food, and that was one of the episodes we did recently, and how amazing of a city Chicago is for food. Uh, Chicago is also really amazing for concerts, uh, music musicians. One of the uh, big ones is Riot Fest. Has anyone here been to Riot Fest? I have, yeah.
0: I went when it was very much booking bands for boomers. So I went during a very legacy artist year when it was like, Elvis Costello and the Imposters, Hello. and that was the year the replacements got back together,
1: ah.
0: and I think Iggy Pop was there. It was, uh. it was wonderful. Now, now it seems like the, the nostalgia has moved on a couple of years, and now it's more late 90s, early 2000s. So yeah, who, who's playing this year?
2: I mean, I won't give you the whole playlist for all the days, but the highlights for Friday, at least for me, are going to be Foo Fighters' is mm. opening. Uh, The band Tegan and Sarah will be there, and I think this is the only time they're going to be in Chicago this year, because they're doing a tour in the U.S. and Canada, so if you want to see them, go see them at Riot Fest. And then Bayside and Silverstein are also going to be fun for Friday. And then they're really trying to get more of a millennial turnout, because Saturday, the Postal Service Mm -hmm. and Death Cab for Cutie... Are both, I think, opening
0: My college, it's coming out
2: (laughs) I know, I'm like, I feel old, but I'm also happy with the lineup So Oh, isn't
0: Jenny Lewis going to be with the Postal Service this time around?
2: I think so so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then Sunday, The Cure is going to be there Along with AFI, The Used is going to be there And they have a new album called Toxic Positivity that is amazing And you shall listen to it and then the other two groups I'm excited for Sunday are the Dresden Dolls. That's with Amanda Palmer. Yes. Um, and I think it's been like 15 years since they've like done anything as the Dresden Dolls because Amanda Palmer went and did her own independent thing for a minute. And then Flogging Molly is mm. going to be there. So They're if you fun. want happy Irish music that you can kind <laughs> of mosh to, this is your jam. <laughs>
3: I'm jealous I didn't get tickets. T and Sarah was one of my favorite bands. <laughs>
2: I know, but that, it's also on a Friday. I'm like, and I have to work on Friday. Uh, oh, no. no.
3: The The con was like the first album I think I ever bought, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, One of the uh, concerts I'm going to go see later this year, uh, next month actually in August, uh, is a local band who became much more popular on a national level, Beach Bunny. Yeah. Um, And uh, about a year ago, they actually recently uh, collaborated with Tegan and Sarah.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was
3: fun. Beach Bunny's concert. uh, It's at a new venue called The Salt Shed. And it's Mm -hmm. basically like... Her band, the lead singer name is Lily, it's her band, and then, like, three of her favorite bands of all time. And when she first announced this, I was just like, oh, this is finally my chance to go see Tegan and Sarah. Uh But unfortunately, they're not a part of the lineup. The lineup is uh, Charlie Bliss. Uh, uh, yeah, they're great. Uh, the best. And then a
0: band called Ebida, which I've never heard of them before. I'm yeah. not familiar with them either, but yeah. I will say the Beths are one of the best bands operating today. Yeah, uh, actually, they have yeah. not put out a single song that is anything less than stellar. <laughs> oh, I, I actually saw them at the Salt Shed last year, and I was so yeah. irritated that they only got like 25 minutes. <laughs>
3: the best is more in the same ballpark as like Tegan and Sara. more like a blend between like indie rock and yeah. ki- kind of power pop-ish, I guess. Yeah. But uh, Charlie Bliss and especially them and Beach Bunny, they're very much power pop, definitely. Yeah. And, uh,
0: 90s alternative nostalgia yeah. vibes. Uh, I'm getting a lot of like Liz Fair and.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Or maybe like a female led like uh, Blink 182 at okay. times two. Yeah. Ah,
4: <laughs> yeah. Upcoming in September, Hozier will be performing at the Huntington Bank Pavilion on Northerly Isle and I will be. Seeing him, is was an absolute battle to get tickets for that. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Um, got absolutely scalped paying for those, but that's okay. I think he's worth it. He's taking a really interesting approach for his upcoming album, Unreal on Earth. He's releasing songs from it as singles about once a month or so to generate intrigue so that he can release the full album and full set list for the concerts and still have established a good connection mm-hmm. to his audience. I think he's a really fantastic musician and a fantastic performer, so I'm really excited to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, that's really smart because if you just drop an album and go on tour, you don't give enough, your fans enough time to learn the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> So no one's singing along, yeah. and that, that never feels good. Yeah.
4: He did actually a series of quote-unquote pop-up concerts as well these last few months. Using some of the singles that are newer and a lot of his older music as well, he'll show up to smaller venues. So a few months ago, he was at Metro in Chicago. Okay. I was not able to get tickets there, but it was a smaller venue, so it was like a much more intimate vibe and much cheaper tickets as well yeah. and i think that was also a very smart move on his part you know reestablishing his presence and kind of coming back to connecting with his fans and saying i'm i'm still here right
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Has anyone seen any of the big, like the Taylor Swift or the Beyonce tour, speaking of tickets that are hard to get? Oh. <laughs>
2: I mean, if you gave me $20,000, um, that would either ticket would be great and affordable.
1: I ended up tailor gating the Taylor Swift concert <laughs> at Soldier Field. Um, I did not get tickets, but me and a friend just went outside Soldier Field, hung out on the grass, had some food, had some drinks, and it was actually... A great concert experience. <laughs> I felt like awesome. there was so much camaraderie of everyone who was outside. Um, <laughs> and it was just kind of like a fun listening party where you know, like a hundred feet away, there was Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's me. I, I'm the problem,
2: it's me, I'm the problem, it's he, time, everybody. Else.
0: That, that's excellent. There's this mini documentary that was made in the '80s called Heavy Metal Parking Lot, mm. and it's just people who say they're from MTV who actually are not from MTV, <laughs> filming people tailgating before a Judas Priest show.
2: Oh, and it is, oh I, I want Priest. like a
0: short story about every single person on camera. It is such a wonderful time capsule of that like Hesher, teen metal fan mentality. <laughs> I would love to see Taylor Swift parking lot as well.
1: Speaking of Judas Priest, have you had a chance to read Rob Halford's biographies? Not yet, no. I haven't read his first one, but his second one, Biblical, was all about him being the lead of Judas Priest. and. The various goings-on of that whole scene, and it's just fascinating to see the first-person perspective of yeah. all that wild debauchery. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, that's a good segue into our next topic. In addition to you know albums, uh, personally, one of my favorite things to do is read biographies of musicians and bands. I recently read a book called David Bowie's Bookshelf. One of my favorite things is, like, not so much the life, like, the upbringing of a person, but, like, the art that made the artist. Mm -hmm. Just read the title. It's basically Bowie's uh, top 100 books of all time and how they influenced him as a musician and his songs. The first book, actually, they talk about was... uh, A Clockwork Orange, Mm, uh, and David Bowie's name—that's not his actual name. That's a pseudonym. It comes from uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh, So he was highly influenced by Stanley Kubrick, and he kind of got into uh, like literature, kind of like A Clockwork Orange, because Stanley Kubrick adapted that as well.
0: Yeah.
1: And the best-selling is life
0: on Mars. I, I actually several years ago uh, wrote a blog entry for the Desplains uh, website about various bits from the Bowie bookshelf that you can find here in the library maybe I'll repost it as part of this episode but yeah it's definitely interesting to see what your favorite artists are enjoying of art. Like oh, Speaking of an art, uh, Art Garfunkel has had a list <laughs> on his website of every book he's read for the last 70 years, which is very impressive. I admit I just kind of scanned it to see how often he would read a Paul Simon biography. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot of really good rock star memoirs and musician memoirs that are out. Does anyone have any, any favorites that they've recently
1: well, one that was part of I think uh, Libby's like big book club read is like part memoir, part music reference, part philosophizing history. Is um, Questlove's "Music Is History," mm. and Questlove is the you know leader and founder of the band The Roots. It was really interesting just seeing his reflections on hip hop and rap and the various artistries that have inspired him and have really made an impact on his foundation as an artist. So I'd recommend that one. That was really an interesting read.
0: I've been reading this photo book that just came out of Paul McCartney's photos that he took while the Beatles were going to America for the first time. Uh, it's called Eyes of the Storm. And it, as you mentioned, it's, it's always interesting to see a different perspective on something that we're very familiar with. And Like at that time in 1964, the Beatles were like the most photographed people ever. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to see what they saw, which is a whole bunch of people pointing their cameras (laughs) and people chasing after them. It's really interesting and comes with Paul's own remembrances of the era. And, you know, as an author, Paul is a great bass player. (laughs) (laughs) So you always kind of get the impression that it's a little ghostwritten. But, you know, I very much enjoyed that one. Well,
3: uh, speed on the Beatles. Uh, a mini series that I've been watching is The Beatles Get Back, yeah. uh, which uh, came out a couple years ago. Um, I think Disney uh, funded it, yeah. and it is Peter Jackson's documentary of their jam sessions in like one month of their life, yeah. um, leading up to uh, the release of Let It Be. And when I first heard of this uh, TV series, basically, someone said it's an eight-hour movie, and I was just like, oh, it must have been a biography of their entire career. But no, it's only about, like, 21 days in their life. And it is, like... When I first watched it, I was like, I don't know how much I could handle of just like, (laughs) yeah. It it makes you feel like you're in the room with, like, the Beatles just, like, sitting down watching them, like, come up with these songs. Yeah. And each chapter in the miniseries, it's like a day in their life of them uh, producing this music. And for the first three days, I was like, I don't know how much I'm into this. But then the the fourth day hits, uh, John Lennon shows up late. Mm -hmm. uh, So uh, Paul McCartney's kind of left to his own devices. There's just, like, a long shot on him, of him just, like, playing the guitar and, like, developing the chord progression for Get Back. And, like, it was, like, seeing the artist at work, uh, it was, like, mind-blowing. Yeah. Get back, get back, back to where you once belonged. Get back, get back, back to where you once belonged.
0: I've been listening to bootlegs of that month for (laughs) almost my entire life, because among collectors, there circulates some 80, 90 hours of just raw audio. And that's fascinating, but actually seeing it with the pictures, you understand their dynamic so well you know, how they brought songs to each other, how they refined each other's ideas, how they came upon an arrangement, and, you know, how they argued. There's one bit in the Get Back documentary where you hear a conversation they don't know is being taped. Someone put a microphone in a flower pot, and they they talk very openly and unfiltered about their relationship with each other. And, you know, at that point, George had quit the band. And so they're basically saying, well, maybe we are Treating him as a second-class Beatle, maybe we should be <laughs> listening to his songs a little more.
1: Yeah.
0: Another uh, documentary that I watched recently uh, was on the Velvet Underground.
3: Mm. It was a very interesting, like, companion piece almost to um, the Beatles Get Back. Mm. It was about them, but it was a lot about the culture that brought up the band, mm. um, the New York scene, and uh, Andy Warhol. Mm. I've been a fan of the Velvet Underground for, like, all my life, basically. Yeah. Um, oh, I mentioned uh, Lou Reed. Uh, that was actually my introduction to him through, okay. through the Gorilla, so it was yeah. a very interesting, uh, <laughs> a unique introduction. Yeah, I didn't realize that, like, I knew Andy Warhol made the cover. I didn't know he was basically, like, uh, the, manager the manager of, the, of yeah. the band. Yeah, and Lou Reed was a very fascinating figure.
0: Well, got a fucking notion...
3: The movie, um, like, focus more on uh, the band, especially uh, after they uh, abandon Warhol. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still really good. I highly recommend it. It is from the Criterion Collection,
0: so we have we have uh, multiples of that in the library right now, DVD and Blu-ray. Okay, maybe I will give it a a shot because I haven't watched it yet. I heard it's very light on original Velvet Underground footage because there's not much that actually exists. Mm. Oh. Which probably is why they put the focus more on the, the New York art scene in the '60s, and, and also I, I have a lot of love for the post-Warhol albums, even the one after Lou Reed left, Squeeze. Everyone thinks uh, that album is terrible. That. That, <laughs> I'm sure they didn't mention it at all in the documentary, but they did it. no, It's, I it's think a fine did, album. Yeah. <laughs>
1: One that's a little bit older is The Decline of Western Civilization. It's three parts. It's very wild. Um, (laughs) I do know that the director... I can't remember her full name, but I know it starts Penelope Spheris. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Penelope Spheris. I had just recently watched The Metal Years, which is the second part, and in the book, which is an oral history called Nothing But a Good Time, and its subtitle is The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion, Penelope does disclose that she doctored a few scenes in (laughs) the documentary to make Ozzy Osbourne look drunk. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if it's a big recommendation, but it's very interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I have a lot of love for the first decline of Western civilization, uh, which is about like the 70s L.A. punk scene, Mm -hmm. partially because my mom was very tangentially related. She had a pen pal who actually became the bass player for the band The Germs, and There's a postcard in existence where my mom is invited to join the Germs and to come to L.A. and join this punk band. And she's like, I'm not a drummer. I I can't play any instruments. And she's like, that's OK. Neither can we. It turns out they later, instead of getting my mom to come out from Illinois, in which case I never would have existed, uh, they they chose uh, Belinda Carlisle as the drummer, who also couldn't play drums very well. But (laughs) this being a couple years before the Go-Go's got together, but there was a beta tape of the decline of Western civilization that was in my mom's film collection. So I'm like, what's the story with this? And so that's how I saw it. Like, Black Flag and X and oh all those, those, oh, yeah. those punk yeah.
3: bands for the first time. Amazing. <laughs> the, uh, the the director of Decline of uh, the Western Civilization, before she did that, she made uh, this awesome punk rock movie called Suburbia. Okay. It, it's a good companion piece to Decline. It, uh, it stars uh, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, oh my
1: gosh. <laughs> way before
3: uh, he was in the band. Uh, and, of course, kind of like when he's on stage, he is shirtless for a lot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. We talked a lot about, like, uh, our favorite albums uh, and documentaries coming out. Have you noticed
0: any, like, uh, interesting trends in music? The the one trend that I, I see a lot is sort of the death of the album, which you sort of alluded to with Hozier doing sort of previewing tracks from an album uh, leading up to it. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of artists have said, you know, I'm not putting out albums anymore. I'll just put out singles when I feel like it or EPs. And I think it's a little sad because even though a lot of people will just listen to songs one at a time on streaming services or put them on playlists, I think there's such a great flow that can happen with a well-sequenced album that makes it more than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And I also will never say the word Lucy, L-O-O-S-I-E, to refer to a song that's not a part of any other project. It's called a single, damn it!
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, with some artists... They write or produce songs that will have callbacks to Mm -hmm. other songs, and those are a lot more apparent when you see or hear those in the same album because you can kind of hear the transition or, like, hear the repetition. Yeah. So I think just having that structure also is kind of like an emphasis to, you know, the themes or, like, the overall vibe of the music. Right.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things that you can do on an album that you can't do with uh, just individual songs. Like, you know, you could do sketches, you could do interludes, you can do instrumental tracks and have them cross-fade in and out. I, I love all that stuff. Yes. That
3: is true. Um... I do kind of prefer. I mean, not, not every band is going to make the most well composed album. Mm-hmm. Even back when albums were big, it was still all about singles. Right. Uh, and uh, I think that the influence of Spotify and, and like mm-hmm. Apple Music, right. I would say that's more of a positive. Mm-hmm. Especially as a listener, you don't have to buy an entire album oh, full yeah. of like uh, you know throw AB tracks. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've always been curious to like the effect of like technology, yeah. Uh, yeah. internet, and computers on art and one trend that I'm finding fascinating is how AI has been affecting art the yeah. last couple of months. We've seen, like, chat GPT, mm-hmm. and I know that there's some artists that are incorporating AI into yeah. their music.
4: On that specifically, there's an English art rock band called Everything Everything. They will be in Chicago in October, actually, and their most recent album, Raw Data Feel, They used AI to develop some of the lyrics. I think it came out to about 5% of the lyrics. I'm not sure if that's in the whole album or per song. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also used it to create the album cover. So that's, you know, very interesting. The AI actually created a recurring character in the album named Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's very interesting hearing. You can definitely hear like what parts the AI wrote mm. because they're grammatically correct and right. they're all words that would technically make sense together, but it's also just not things people would be saying to each other. <laughs> you must have burst me out of my head I'm wondering how did I get this all over me I got the pictures Saturday night. It was a Saturday night. They gave the AI sources from LinkedIn's terms and conditions, <laughs> um, verses from Beowulf, posts from 4chan, and <laughs> so like the,
0: super high and super low culture. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and the sayings of Confucius. Um, so it's very interesting to hear the lyrics, but since Not all of the lyrics are written by the AI. It's also very impressive that the band was able to be like, we're going to take this piece or these pieces and turn it into something more. Right. And just like keep that going. I think, you know, that's very impressive. And the band actually said it helped them create their most natural and impulsive work, Mm -hmm. even though it was the use of AI technology rather than only being their work, since yeah. it's a joining of both.
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of skeptics of AI in music say, you know, it's not human, it's, and so it's an insult. Like I think Nick Cave had said, like, it's an insult to what it means to be an artist, mm. to use AI. And I don't really agree. I've actually recently co-written a song with ChatGPT, <laughs> I was actually writing an email at work, mm-hmm. and I meant to say like, time got away from me, yeah. and instead I said, time ran away from me, mm-hmm. which isn't the phrase, but I thought, actually, that's kind of a cool idea for a song, mm-hmm. so I logged into Chat GPT and said, write me a bunch of verses for a song called Time is Running Away, and it did, and they were mostly terrible, <laughs> but... The first line it came out was on topic, it was clever, it sang well and it was a TikTok the clock is mocking me. Oh. And I'm like that I can find nothing wrong with that yeah. and I don't care it was made by AI. So it went in the song yeah. and you know as with everything everything I think it was like yeah. 5% AI. The, yeah. the rest I kind of wrote the lyrics inspired by what AI gave me, but I don't think the song would exist if yeah. I didn't have that to jump yeah. off of. So I get the feeling artists will be using it, but maybe not telling anyone that they're using yeah. it. Sort of like autotune. where
2: You can yeah. tell someone's <laughs> using autotune, though. I oh. cough, cough. The entire cast of Glee cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of one of the things. Like, yeah, there's tech, and it's helpful, but, you know, you can tell.
0: Right. But sometimes you can't tell. And, like, as with autotune, there's a very extreme use of it, but it also can be pretty transparent, I think there's a lot of possibility with AI, especially sort of the the cutting edge of AI in music is now Mm -hmm. voice sampling or voice training, which, again, like 95% of the time is just awful. Mm -hmm. But basically what it is, is you can feed a program, an untreated voice sample Mm -hmm. of someone singing, and then sing your own performance, Mm -hmm. and it'll map the original singer's vocal cadences or mm-hmm. something that sounds like that voice over your performance. So if you like search AI Michael Jackson or AI mm-hmm. uh, Billy Joel or whatever on YouTube, you'll get a whole bunch of just awful sounding like artifacty and unrealistic <laughs> like basically karaoke where they'll say I wonder what it would sound like if Tom Petty sang this Oasis song and it's like yeah, it's kind of in his range but Tom Petty never would have sang with a North of England accent and vice versa. Yeah. But there are some artists making incredible stuff. Like, there's one guy who's trained all of the Beach Boys Mm -hmm. and knows how to construct Beach Boys harmonies and has started finishing Beach Boys songs that never got finished.
4: Oh. (laughs) So it's the
0: original instrumental tracks from the 60s and 70s, but he's doing a very capable Brian Wilson imitation on top of it and then putting Brian Wilson's vocal chords into it. A from the ocean light behind Which, as a Beach Boys fan, I find very fascinating and often very emotional. Yeah. But I can also imagine if Brian Wilson ever heard these he would never leave the house again. (laughs)
4: Yeah.
0: So there's a lot of, like, moral and legal and ethical implications with it.
4: Even just recently regarding, like, vocal sampling like that, this was not something that happened particularly in, like, the music community, but um, there was a woman who does voice acting for video games. Yeah. Someone used AI to replicate her voice to create, like, oh, this character Mm -hmm. is singing a cover of this song. And it started a little bit of a dilemma of, okay, that's entertaining. And yes, this person's voice is out there in the world, but also their voice is their livelihood. Like, that's how she's making her money. So that's also, like, another kind of complicated layer to it because it's one thing to use ai to write your lyrics or inspire your lyrics and it's another thing to use it to kind of like replicate someone else without their knowledge or without their like legal consent
3: yeah yeah we did talk a lot about uh music today and you, you did bring up video game voice acting and like Maybe I'm being hypocritical here, because I, I do feel like I'm okay with AI, as you were talking about, doing the AI Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's pretty fascinating. But then like, I find the whole thing about like using models of actors, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. especially like after they passed away, mm-hmm. in movies like um, Carrie Fisher, uh, she had a 3D mm-hmm. model in one of the recent Star Wars films, right. mm-hmm. uh, and it's very uncanny,
0: is yeah. the other yeah. thing, too. And I think with a lot of these things, when we can see the technology at work, mm-hmm. we recoil from it. It's the uncanny <laughs> valley. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I haven't seen uh the what's the movie where they de-aged like De Niro and it's the Irishman? Oh, Irishman, Irishman, yeah. yes. I think the technology at that point was like ninety percent there. Yeah. But that ten percent just made a lot of people recoil from it. And so when you can hear how sort of in the infancy that the technology still is, mm-hmm. then you're you're sort of thinking, oh, is this okay? Mm-hmm. But I mean, what's the the quote? Any sufficiently developed technology is uh, practically magic or mm-hmm. indistinguishable from magic. Yes.
3: The law of science fiction,
0: right? right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When someone can, like, create a new Beach Boys album from nothing, that's when we, we have to start to <laughs> yeah. fear the singularity. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, that was
3: quite a fascinating uh, discussion. Um, I wanted to mention, uh, in case we forgot, that plenty of our uh, recommendations today, uh, you can get many of them physically from the library, but also on... Uh, Two e-services we offer, Freegal and Hoopla. Yes. I think with Freegal, you're allowed uh, five downloads
0: a month, and you keep them forever. Yeah, and there's no uh, DRM, digital rights management, so you can copy them onto your devices. If anyone has an iPod anymore, uh, (laughs) (laughs) put it it on your phone. And uh, Hoopla is, I think that's streaming only, but you can check out albums uh, just as you would check out books and movies and Graphic novels and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's got a really wide selection. I, I don't yeah. know if it's all of the major labels, but certainly a couple of them. Yeah. Like I think it's got the whole Sony catalog, maybe. Yeah. And yeah, it's good sound quality. It sounds about as good as Spotify, Apple Music, insert streaming service here. <laughs> Are you a vinyl collector? No. I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got me
3: pegged as a vinyl collector. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that vinyl, like now, is it uh, still
0: better than digital? I think I mean it sort of depends on the original music. If it was recorded in the 60s and 70s on tape, then yeah, it's going to sound better on record because it's closer to the original. Mm-hmm. If it was made on a laptop, then you know, the vinyl is just a copy of a digital file but with pops and clicks. So, it it's not going to be better than a CD. It's just going to be do, do you think the same, when, yeah. Do you think when they announced
3: vinyl back in, I don't know, 1900, <laughs> uh, were people just like how we are uh, talking about AI today? They're, they're just like, this is going to replace concerts. It's <laughs> going yes. to replace sheet music.
0: Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think sh- before there was recorded music, sheet music was just the way that people heard you popular to, songs. You just had to imagine it. Right. Or, or <laughs> have a piano in the house and have someone who's good at sight reading. I think that, yeah, with every technological advancement in music, there's been some pushback, you know, Mm -hmm. going from vinyl to 8-track to CD to MP3. I'm sure there's a lot that I missed there.
1: (laughs) Well, even early radio, you know, was Mm. a lot of live music on radio, and then the recorded tracks started going, and people went, this isn't real music, this yeah. is recorded. How are we supposed to know if it's a recording or it's real? They're mm-hmm. lying to us. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: And when synthesizers came out, the musicians' union, w- no, you can't have a synthesized oboe that's taking <laughs> jobs from real oboists. And there's probably something to that. But I think every time there's an advancement that mm-hmm. is not beneficial to some, a whole lot more people... Now there's an oboe on everyone's MacBook on GarageBand, <laughs> and, you know, anyone can make a song with a prominent oboe part, and that opens up the gates of creativity to everyone as opposed to people who can afford a professional oboist. Yeah, you don't
3: need, you don't need to be a composer with uh, millions of dollars to pay for a whole band. Right. <laughs> Just do it in your garage. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, yeah, we, we are all big music fans here, and if you are too, come to the library. We've got a whole lot to enjoy Come to the third floor and ask around, and we'll be happy to talk your ear off (laughs) about all things music. All right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.